Welcome, welcome, welcome. Don't click fast forward. Um, I've got some important stuff to tell you. I need to give you a warning as well. This is episode 325 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. And it's a drunk cast um, with the amazing James A. Caster and Ed Gamble joining myself, Stu Whiffin and Chris Glasson from the Hardcore Listing podcast. Therefore, there might be some new listeners who aren't used to what the drunk cast is. The drunk cast is normally me, Chris and Stu just getting drunk in a in Stu's shed um, and talking nonsense. And in this isolation period, we're adding some of 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 the comedian friends I have, which is amazing. We did one a few weeks back with Brett Goldstein and Ramesh Ranganathan, and it's been argued as as one of the best drunk casts we've done. I'm hoping that this one will um, ch- challenge that. But obviously, it's people just getting drunk and talking nonsense. So there may be some slightly offensive stuff. I'm particularly conscious that in these in these ones, a couple of times we stumble upon some pretty heavy subjects and it may seem that we um, move on from them in a blasé manner. That's not the case. Essentially, we're all on Zoom and every now and then when we got to something a bit heavy that I thought we probably can't give this the nuanced analysis that it deserves, I would kind of indicate to move on. So we move on. There's, I think it's more in episode two and maybe three where we get absolutely hammered. Yeah, so so that's that's the warning. Ed Gamble and James Acaster are as wonderful as ever. I love those guys dearly. This was meant to be a two-parter, but as you'll hear at the end of part two, I tried to end it, and James and Ed, both quite drunk, had, j- had just opened their second bottles of wine and insisted that we continue. So it turns into a three-parter um, spanning four hours. So if you were bored in lockdown, we got you. Uh, the episodes, obviously, this episode, episode one, came out at midnight. Episode two will be out at midday, and episode three will be out either at midnight or midday on Thursday. I'll figure it out. Um, two things I need to tell you about. The most important one is the Pod Bible listening parties. Um, next week, inspired by by uh, uh, Tim Burgess's album, Listening Parties, we decided to put together a lineup of podcast listening parties and the idea will be that you all all tune in and press play on the same episode at the same time we all listen at the same time and the hosts of the podcast will be on twitter to answer your questions to give some behind the scenes information and some insights um and we'll all have some good fun with it it'll be a chance to talk to the guests it might be a chance to hear some podcasts you've not heard before it'll be a chance to talk to the host to get the behind the scenes and to potentially revisit a favorite so just quickly, on Tuesday, May 19th, we've got Rich Wilson's Insane in the Men Brain podcast. He's doing an episode I've talked about on here before, his episode with Michael Smiley. It's fantastic. It's one of the best bits of podcasting I've ever heard. Then at 8.30 on, on Tuesday, May 19th, is the Football Ramble Daily. On Wednesday, May 20th, is White Wine Question Time with Kate Thornton at 7pm. And at 8.30pm, it's Drunk Women Solving Crime. On Thursday, the 21st of May at 7pm, it's North Star Rising, which I narrate. So I'll be on with Mike Biffle and all of the rest of the of the, 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 the voice cast on that to talk about the first episode, episode one of North Star Rising, a space adventure. Then we've got at 8.30 that night, it'll be giant. On Friday, the 22nd of May, we've got Say Your Mind podcast at 7pm and f- finishing off on Friday, 
the 22nd at 8.30, incidentally, my dad's birthday, um, it will be distraction pieces and we're going to be re-listening to the Joe Gilgan episode, I think, which is one of my favourite of recent years and touches upon some really important and heavy stuff and also some absolute nonsense. So yeah, that is exciting. The other thing I want to tell you about quickly is um, the distraction quiz because we had the first distraction quiz um, on Monday and it went down amazingly. We've literally had thousands of people playing along, which blew our mind. Like we expected a few hundred. Um, You can go and play it now. It's an hour long quiz from all of the hosts of podcasts on the distraction pieces network. It's on YouTube. Just search distraction quiz. So you can play at any point, put your scores in the comments, put your scores on my Facebook or Twitter or Instagram posts about it. And then we're going to have this second quiz live on monday um the what's that the 18th yeah at 8 30 so the way that work again it'll be all over the socials but if you just search distraction quiz around 8 20 it'll bring up the the holding page and then there's chat like what i loved in this was that in the youtube chat on this the side because it's done as a youtube premiere i was in there dan lasac was in there craig parkinson was in there uh, who, who else? Dr. Susie Gage, Chris Glasson. So we're all in there chatting along as people are giving their results and talking about how bad they did because they felt it was really hard. Um, but yeah, it's very exciting and it was put together by Luke at Bang Boom Creative. And the biggest feedback was how amazing it looked because a lot of quizzes at the moment are just people on Zoom, and this is a bit different to say the least. Um, I spent a whole day filming my links, so y- and you'll s- see why when you watch it. Um, yeah, that is everything to tell you about. Um, let's get on with the bloody podcast. Um, I've talked for, for s- six minutes ahead of the most anticipated drunk cast or distraction pieces in weeks. Um, l- let's go. This is, again, heavy warning. It might get offensive, but this is part one of episode 325 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. It's the Drunk Cast with Ed Gamble, James A. Caster, Chris Glasson and Stu Whiffin of Off Menu and Hardcore Listing podcasts, respectively. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Chris, have you turned up with a protein shake? No, that's that's my drink. All oh, right. What, that's my what is alco- it? Alcohol it looks beverage. horrible, Chris. Um, fuck knows. Um, it's you should it know was supposed it looks disgusting. If it looks yeah, that yeah. badly, you've got to know what it is. <laughs> it, it was supposed to be a mojito, but it took a wrong turn at some point. And no, I'm not no offense, sure no offense, Chris, enough. but it looks like really ill wee. <laughs> Does look like quite poor. Wee. Just so, I mean, it's, it's probably that. It's probably that. Ed. Cabin fever's got to me. I've been forcing my girlfriend to drink it. Too. What is in it? What are the ingredients? Um, I think what's um, tainted it is brown sugar. That's all we had. Uh, no co- coconut sugar because because um, I'm a hipster. Uh huh. And I think yeah. that's just. I think it's tainted it brown. What else is in it? And, I mean, and like off mint as well. It's like some old mint leaves. That sounds fucking rank. Mm, mm. Mint leaves. Some, and... di- some dirty just, old mint just... leaves. <laughs> I'm just so emptying the cupboards. And I mean, I should start st- oh, start things off and introduce 
that we're doing the drunk cast. I mean, that's that's a good way to start because it starts with, with Chris's horrific drink. But <laughs> we've got Chris and Stu, and we're joined this time by James A. Caster and Ed Gamble. How are you doing, guys? Hello. Hello. Very Hello. well, thank you. Two, sip, two sips of drink, so I'm now, I'd say, at the peak of my drinking. I will not feel better than this for the rest of the evening. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you drinking this evening, Ed? Red wine. I'm drinking a bottle of... Uh, 12 volts red wine, uh, which I, I not, as I normally buy red wine, I bought it because the label was cool. That Pretty is cool a very label. cool label. What the hell is going on? Is that some kind of bear? I think it's like a, it seems to be a four-headed bear uh, that has uh, a head on its head, a head where its hands should be each, uh, and a head in its stomach. It's actually quite sad the more I look at it now. <laughs> yeah. It actually looks like it's in pain. A head on its head? So that's two heads. No, no, no. A head, a, head, a normal head. A normal head, yeah, <laughs> and then a head on the hand, and then a head in the stomach. Yeah, but no but hands. head on either hand. Yeah, one right, but where the hand should be. So basically, every, everywhere it looks, there's a head. Well, I mean, is that in the reviews of the wine? Is that it doesn't <laughs> see if it mention it on the label? No, it's the mainly draw- about the head. The drawing is by uh, Gary Baseman. So you can look him oh. up if you if you like the sound of absolutely horrific creatures. I well, thought bloody I saw, fair play, Gary. <laughs> I thought I saw... Sure, you drinking red wine. I am, mate. What's <laughs> what's on your bottle? Uh, it's just uh, textbook. Uh, <laughs> nothing oh, nothing yes. classy, mate. So, obviously, for those who are only listening, it's... Um, <laughs> Sorry. Blue and white Sorry. stripe, Tesco's, <laughs> Tesco's value. Blue none, mate. <laughs> uh, what are you drinking, James? White wine... Uh, Oyster Bay Sav Blanc 2019. A classic. Yes. Um, I don't know where it's come from. I, 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 I'm at that point now in lockdown where um, we haven't really been buying any more alcohol than what we had in, but what we had in was a lot beforehand because me and Ed do a food <laughs> podcast together and sometimes get sent free alcohol. And I had uh. continually just been like told the great Benito, who produces our podcast, that I couldn't be bothered to collect it. Then one day collected it all at once, and it basically filled the fridge. And then Boris Johnson announced a lockdown. So <laughs> <laughs> we're down now to just like um, some white wine, uh, and that's about all that, that's left now. So yeah, I've been working my way through this. You see, despite the drunk cast, I rarely. A drink. I only really drink on the drunk cast, and I've been sponsored like every other podcast by Beer Fifty Two. So mm. I had a fridge full of Beer Fifty Two stuff, and we went to dr- dr- drink some of it the other day. And turns out all of it is out of date. And beer takes a oh. long time to go out of date. So that's that's how much. I mean, the, the, they're not a current sp- sponsor because this isn't the best advert for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they've the, sent the me. Fi- wonderful beers. The fifty two. <laughs> what, what are you drinking? Pip? Means it's fifty two minutes until it goes off after you receive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and they are a current sponsor for us, so I apologise. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Um, I'm drinking a Scroobius. Of course you are. A, oh, a, a, which I described on off menu. Yes. So um, it's is I've gone I've gone for the one that is the rhubarb Slingsbury gin and a, and a Pepsi Max. A- your, your remake of that is a lot better than the original Scroobius. I don't know if yeah. uh, James or Ed have had a chance to taste that. No, shit b- because I'll be honest, even the, Pip described it as the best drink in the world and it still sounds absolutely rancid no. to me. He's been really pushing that for like years yeah. now, trying to brainwash yeah. people with it. <laughs> it was episode one of our podcast and it was the worst <laughs> drink we'd ever heard. <laughs> Finally, some sense from people. Uh, genuinely, b- uh, because of the podcast, I've had people during lockdown 
<laughs> have messaged me that they're having a scroobius because that's clearly a drink that you get to when you're running out of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got some gin, you've got some Pepsi, and I've had wonderful feedback, so you oh, could good. all fuck off, basically. <laughs> These are people, feedback comes from people coming to your club night to see you. Yeah, It's their yeah, big moment to chat well. to you, and then you, you shove that under their nose. And you're like, try that. And they're not going to say that's disgusting. That's what's great, though, isn't it, about our lives. I absolutely love it. There's people sucking up to us all the time. Yeah. No matter how bad our ideas are, awful ideas, 24-7, so many people are doing them. It's great. And telling me it's brilliant. I used to, I used to talk about this... When I used to tour and I had a partner at the time, she'd ask me every night like, how the show was. And it'd always be like, well, everyone in that town that likes me came and cheered me. <laughs> so so it was good. That's what every show is. That's what maybe, gigs are. It's kind maybe of, yeah, for you. It was lovely. Not, not, not for all of us, mate. James, everybody James likes me in that town, couldn't make it. And instead, all the people who were quick at buying tickets came along. They sat there, <laughs> got a little bit annoyed that I wasn't just talking about what I lied to you the whole time, and then had a go at me after in the car park. Now I'm in my hotel, I'm really depressed, and I'm drinking a Scroobius. <laughs> James, uh, as well as being a talented comedian, has an incisive habit of being able to root out the people who don't like him the most in the audience. It's yeah. absolutely yeah. incredible. He can go on and go, them, 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 and them. They're the biggest twats in the audience, and he'll call them out minute one. Yep. Yeah. The thing is, though, I'm getting quite good at it. I'm getting quite good at being like, <laughs> you, you, you didn't want to come, and she bought you. Is that correct? And they'll go, yep, absolutely. They, 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 they never go, no, you've got me wrong. They go, yep, I don't want to be here. This is a waking hell for me. Your sense of humour is not a cup of tea. How long does this show last? <laughs> so, you see, go on, it doesn't go get on, on side then. James, you no. don't pick them out and then they're like, ah. Oh. No, very little of what laugh. I do gets them on side. I, I, I've not really got, uh, I've not got a backup plan humour-wise and so instead I try and I, I just go in on them and uh, they tend not to like that either and fair enough because who would? And then uh, that's it, really. I'm staring down the barrel of a two-hour show and I've already <laughs> painted myself into quite the corner. <laughs> <laughs> two hours See, this is, is too long. This, yes. Oh, this is kind of beautiful because... You went on 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 Rich Wilson's Insane in the Membrane podcast, and it was it was fantastic. But it was before you started your tour, and it came out after your tour. And you were talking about your fear of it being a two part show, and if you don't like them in the first half, you're not <laughs> going to want to do the second half because it's a it's quite a deep and personal show. Yes. Um, and that was amazing to listen to because I came to see you in Brighton and mm. you, you, you went through that experience of kind of mm. having a bit of an argument in the first half. No, second and then half. It, it, first half. Oh, right, was it the second half? The one you saw was one of the most right. heartbreaking shows of the tour because the first <laughs> half was like, oh, this audience fucking loves it. And I came off in the yeah. interval and I was like, oh, f- finally. No one's like heckling a bunch of horrible shit. They're all listening. This is great. And then I went out in the second half, and like I think 20 minutes into the second half, someone heckled, but it was a Brighton heckle, so it was like a real right-on heckle about something else, not about something I'd said. I was like making fun of yeah. someone for saying some ignorant shit, and they wanted to heckle and show that they agreed, but they, in doing so, fucked the punchline up because they shouted over the punchline. <laughs> I made a joke about that, tried to do the punchline again, and then a lot of people in the room decided it would be funny to constantly ruin the punchline every time I tried to do it. So I tried about five times, and by the fifth time, 
I, I think I basically just went, fuck it. Look, guys, the whole tour has been me getting heckled and not being able to do this show. I was really excited tonight because I thought I could finally do it. And now you're doing this. I'm just going to get through this on a monotone and go back to my hotel. And that's what I did. I think, I, I think you'll attest to that. The second half after that was me speaking as fast as I could, still doing the words. Contractually, they haven't they've got nothing on me. I was saying all the words. I blasted through it with no emotion whatsoever and got off stage. You, you're right in the kind of heartbreaking nature of it because it was that weirdness of it was a positive heckle, yeah. but a positive heckle that was ruining yeah. the show, a, an integral part of the show. It was clear for, from anyone who's, who's been to see stand-up that this was clearly a key bit that was <laughs> going to build on and all this. So it was just heartbreaking because it, sh- surely it's easier if you've got a heckler who's just calling you a prick or, I mean, as you mentioned on, on, on Rich Wilson's podcast having a go at you for having gone to therapy or talking about mental health. If they're being a dick, yeah. then you can turn on them easier. But this was such a hard one to, <laughs> to deal with because you're like, yeah. I can't... My normal reaction is to turn on you. If I go into that here, I'm just attacking the nice people, yep. which isn't going to get anyone on side. Yep. So so where do I go? Yeah, it was, it was just someone going, me too, that's how I feel. And I can't go, oh yeah? Well, you're, you're a dickhead, mate. You shut up and sit down. Uh, I, I, I had to be like, oh, okay. I had to make a joke about the fact they'd been so nice that they'd ruined it. And then, when I, but then it was the subsequent heckles by other people that <laughs> that were now about my that. I've got to say, you say they all thought it would be funny to then keep interrupting the punchline. I put my yes. hands up. That's pretty funny. Yes, <laughs> but that's my problem, Ed. I don't, I, I don't share the general sense of humour of the public, and I have to perform for them. <laughs> I agree that on paper that's funny, as long as you're not the person being interrupted. Sure. Oh no, I'd love it, mate. Yeah, but you ain't got any material. I've said. Yeah, this you, that's because you've written a two-hour show. I write an hour and fifteen, and hope that that shit like that happens. Yeah. Ed texts me before most of his shows, going, oh, "I'm not going to lie, I could really do with some troublemakers in tonight." <laughs> I was going to say the last thing I saw of yours, Ed, you'd written an hour and you spent fifteen minutes. Showing them how insulin works. <laughs> no, that was the material. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Good stuff, though. Yeah, I know that stuff, show. Insulin, but it's it's funny, James, because because you we'd scheduled you to come back on this podcast at some point in the next few months, but mm. because you decided to take a year off from touring, yeah. which is a huge. A decision for a comedian <laughs> that's now been completely undermined yeah. by every comedian having yeah. to not tour and yeah. take the rest of the year off. So how's that feel to have that, uh, that rug listen, pulled mate, from under you? I'm used to the rest of the circuit copying me. And, uh, <laughs> here we go again. That's all I'm saying. Uh, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's great, actually. I mean, it, I mean, there's loads of aspects of this that are utterly not great. Uh, but one of the few pluses is that uh, I was already going to make the decision not to gig. But now it's been made for me on top of that, so I can just sit around. In fact, I'm probably doing more gigs than I would have because I'm doing all these like you know Zoom gigs that everyone's putting on now. So I'm doing yeah, more. You're doing more. You're doing more gigs than me. You're not supposed to be doing any. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I've completely messed it up. So, so, so what? Uh, what spawned the decision? Because we've talked about it privately a bit, and I, I took, I was originally taking a year off from music to try other things, and that turned mm. into me retiring. F- from music purely because i loved all these other things and i found that i didn't have to just keep doing the same thing because that's what the audience are telling me i have to do and management and whatever else so 
So what has been your motivation and plan in this in this year, essentially? I, I think at the time, I, I, uh, last year, and Ed will attest to this, last year I was, just, I was doing more complaining than I've ever done before. And I normally complain a lot about stand-up and how much I don't <laughs> enjoy it. But last year, it was pretty much non-stop and I really did hate it. And, and so it was originally that I was like, Joe, what, I've had enough of this, I don't want to do it anymore. Now I can see that it's just that I hadn't had a break since I started in 2008 and you just need a break, don't you? So, like, it, really, it was like, just take a breather and don't do it for a bit. Also, it was just like, I mean, this, I don't know about everyone else, but this lockdown, it's really highlighted how different my mental health and my well-being is when I'm not standing in front of a room for the people every single night. And it is so much better. And I feel so much better about yeah. myself. I'm calmer. Like, my relationships with people, sure, they're not around, so that makes it easier. But my, my relationships <laughs> with people are better, you know. Uh, so, like, all of it is just like, oh, yeah, I feel a lot, um, like, because I appreciate that the minute with the lockdown, it's actually taking a big toll on a lot of people's mental health, and it's really uh, tough. So, like, a lot of people, I do have friends and family checking in on me uh, because like, I've had, like, little wobbles in the past and stuff. And I kind of sound like really ungrateful for them checking in. So I'm like, I'm better than ever right now. It's like <laughs> weirdly because like I'm not having to, uh, I'm not putting myself in that stressful situation. My brain is just going, oh, this is much nicer. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about you, Ed. I don't know if you feel the same that not doing gigs is, is a is, is a bit nicer now. I feel fine about it. Like I think it just made me realise that I probably don't need it or like it as much as I thought I did. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. I'm perfectly happy not doing it. I'll be happy to go back to gigs as well, but the annoying thing was I was starting to write new material and that's the exciting bit. Uh but I've kind of appreciate a bit of a rest from it anyway. I think we're mm. now at the stage where we've been doing it so long, it's not like we're going to rust over too much. And also everyone's in the same position. So everyone it, it, we've been hit put on pause. It's not like there's a like a career race or anything like that or we're not gigging and everyone else is getting better because we'll just go back and it'll be it's like the blip in the Marvel films, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah, is. yeah, or, or, or that's kind of the key part there, because the reason it's a scary decision if you're just doing it on your own, as James was originally doing there, is anything in the arts, because I'm convinced it's because we don't really deep down think it's a real job. Um, you think that you're just going to fall behind everyone and everyone's going to get ahead of you and everyone's going to improve. And comedians... M must be the worst for that right because i see tours go up and they're the most relentless tours and then when the tour is over everyone i know is like i'm I'm trying to get five or six gigs in a week um just to work on new material mm -hmm. and things like that so it must be good to have that forced yeah that forced breather fr from it all just as like how's your how, how have you found it mental health wise ed because again it is it's relentless doing comedy so that must start to yeah to i mean because you, you're putting yourself at other people's will every night but i don't know i just yeah i i, I, I don't think it's necessarily affected my mental health that much at all really i i quite i quite liked gigging but i'm not like livid that i'm not doing it i've really enjoyed yeah. spending more time with my fiance like there was you know if you're working every night it's it's difficult to spend time with anyone so it's just been it's been lovely to just be in the house with her all the time because she's not working mm -hmm. either uh, we were supposed to get married. That was the fucker. But um, I mean, I was going to say that's that's now your ex extended fiance because yeah. that was a big thing. That that how lockdown affected you is that you had your wedding booked all all ready to go, and then I saw a, a picture of you kind of just hanging out in your garden yeah. on what would have been your wedding day. So 
How's how's that been? Well, now that day's gone, that's fine. I mean, now we're just looking forward to the the next attempt, which is what we're referring to it as. Like, <laughs> fuck knows how long this is going to go on for. So it's supposed to be next March, but we're, you know, crossing fingers and touching wood. But the build-up yeah. to that day was weird because you just start thinking about what you should have been doing at that point. Like, you know, you should have stopped work the week before, should have been getting excited. You know, there were family and friends flying over and building up to it. And that was a bit shitty, but now... It, it's kind of it's it wasn't a day so we just we've just let it go really it's a mad one because that's a day that you have to plan more than any other day yeah in anyone's life but then you've got to postpone it without being able to solidly replan it if you know what i mean i said like you can say oh here's when we're hoping to, to yeah to do it but it is hope at the moment it can't be too, totally you but, can't do too much about it. But even at the time when we re we rebooked everything, we were like, "Well, it'll definitely be fine by next March." And then every day now, we're like, oh, "I don't fucking know. I got no clue." Stu, what have you been up to in these in these these past few, few weeks? Have you been doing constant Zoom quizzes and shit like that? Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of uh, been doing them every weekend. Like you know, one of our sort of circle of mates would do a Zoom quiz and. I ain't going to lie, I'm getting a bit bored of them. I mean, obviously, I'm looking forward to uh, what will be out by by the time yes. this comes out, the uh, the distraction pieces one. Um, but, yeah, I just, I'm just trying to keep to a routine. I'm just sort of going in, like, my little office and, and working, like, nine to five and just trying to sort of have a routine and, and try and keep it as, as, as normal as my everyday life is. And it seems to be working for me. I mean, I'm getting a bit more exercise than normal, which is nice as well. And, yeah, I'm not commuting, which is... Which is quite lovely. Yeah, that's a big old change. How's your headstands are, are coming along? On our previous a, a drunk cast, guys, Stu revealed that his five things he wanted to do during lockdown was learn to cook, learn to play the piano, learn to do a headstand, write a book, um, and wank your cock off. Was that the? I that think was that the five, was it. wasn't I it? I think that was it. <laughs> So progress reports on all five. Yeah, can we? Can Mas- you put? Can you put them in order of uh, how much progress you've made with all of them? I've now. I've absolutely nailed one. Um, <laughs> um, the uh, the headstand. It, I ain't going to lie. It ain't going well. Um, I, I keep trying to do it up against my garden fence. So I sort of try and climb up it. It has been trying. It's actually been trying. <laughs> it, it looks. It looks shocking. But the thing is, do you know the thing that bothers me more than anything? Is obviously I get the kids to film it, so I can send it to you and, and go right. I've done it. But obviously the fur- I get the kids to film it, so I can send it to you and, and go right. I've done it. But obviously the further my legs go up the more my T-shirt rides up to the point where the highest I've got, my moobs are exposed. And it's like, I can't fucking give that to Pip and have that on Instagram. That's, that's too much. Have no one needs tuck, to see that. Tuck the T. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I could do. I could do. But I think it's just because the arms are stretched right out and the legs are going out, mm-hmm. it'd have to be a very long T to sort of maintain that. Also, when you, when you say the garden fence, is that like between you and your neighbours? Yeah, yeah, so you're yeah. Just, I mean, during a lockdown, you're... <laughs> As close as you could possibly be to their garden. <laughs> yeah. Doing something that you're a novice at, at best, which could result in you toppling <laughs> into their back garden, possibly. <laughs> Feet first. Yep. Yeah. Imagine- I'd love it if you broke the fence. <laughs> <laughs> what a way for someone to get the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. But have, have you made any progress on the piano, on cooking? 
or uh, any of these things? Cooking, definitely not. The piano, I did get my old synthesizer at, and uh, me and the youngest have been have been tinkering with the ivories. But uh, nice, yeah. I think I literally just showed her how to play uh, "Jump" by Van Halen, and that was it. Oh, incredible. Hmm. James, have you been tempted to make anything musical in this this weird period? Yeah, in your, in your time off from comedy. Well, yeah, I, I kind of uh, I realised the other day that we got loads of uh, I'm, me and my girlfriend are in lockdown together, and we, between us, we got quite a lot of instruments, musical instruments, and, and um, I realised I had Garage Band on my laptop anyway. I never knew how to use it, so I've been uh, I just been learning how to use it and making little drum loops and stuff like that out of whatever. I made a really good snare drum sound the other day with my belt, by cracking my belt next to the mic. <laughs> sounded just like a snare because I haven't got a, a dr- drums drums. Also, before all this, so like a week before I started self-isolating, which was like a couple of weeks or a week before lockdown, I w- collected my old drum kit from my parents' house. It's been there since um, before I moved out. So like 12 years of not playing it. And I went and picked it up for the first time and took it straight to a music studio and set it up and without tuning it, played it for two days and we recorded everything that I played. And I, 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 Amazing. I, I didn't play drums in that long uh, and like the, the drums themselves hadn't been played that long. And then through a bunch of things that I've been doing recently, I've been able to get contact details for possibly my favourite drummer in the world, which is a guy called Seb Rockford, who's a jazz drummer. And uh, yeah. he came in the next day and played my old drum kit along to the, the improvisations that I'd done and like tuned it up the way he would like it, played proper drums over the top of this like sloppy stuff I'd done. Then we just had these drum tracks. And so in I, and now I'm in lockdown and because I've like, I wrote a, a book about music last year and have contact details for loads of musicians that I really like who are all kicking around doing nothing. And so, like, I, um, well, probably not all doing nothing, but they're not doing as much as they would be. And I contacted uh, a, a stand up, a double bass player that I really love who lives in Spain. I was like, we've got these, got these drum tracks if you're bored or want to do something to them and sent them to her. And then she just got back to me just before I did this because she's had them for a few weeks. And I thought, oh, maybe she's not found time or they haven't grabbed her. And she sent me a, a message saying, um, I didn't find any, I, I haven't played double bass in ages. I'm really uninspired with the double bass. It was really frustrating me trying to play it. So instead, me and my friend um, have taken all of your tracks and played synths and vocals over the top of them and made songs out of them. And she's just sent them back to me. So I'm very excited to listen back to what are going to be full, oh, wow. full songs now, which I didn't, so I'm going to be able to then take that and mess around with that and send it off to some other people. And yeah, I'm going to play a bit of a kind of song beach ball toss uh, with the, with these tracks around the world during lockdown. I love sounds, that. Sounds a lot better than your efforts, Stu, with your daughter. You need to buck <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you've Sorry, been shown up there. I, I shouldn't have let you go first there. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've enjoyed I've jamming with your daughter, mate, playing Van Halen. <laughs> I've taught my daughter Van Halen. I've collaborated with some of my favourite musicians all over the world. So... <laughs> But no, I I, I love that because I love the different w- ways of finding that that creativity. Because growing up, I always assumed to make songs, you all get together in a room, and then you play something and yeah. you create it, and that's it. But a thing I did uh, before I was like when I was still going to do a solo record, I was in LA with uh, with Travis Barker, who's one of my f- favorite drummers in the world. He's absolutely yeah. amazing, and he was like, "I'll do some." T- some drums for you like what do you need and we went in his studio and basically i picked a load of songs i love from punk songs to rap songs mm-hmm. he put them in his headphones then played along but played anything other than the drums that are on the track great so he's jamming along to him but then we then 
got these as isolated tracks. You take them away and it's the most amazing, absolutely bonkers stuff because it's like a Run the Jewels track that's got this slow kind of grinding bass line and he's just played all around it and you're all, all you've got is the bits in between the gaps, if you know yeah. what I mean. And yeah. Would uh, any of them work shit. with um, Jump? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Just, I really want a, J- a James to send some of his his drum tracks over to Stu and his daughter. <laughs> yeah, to to see what eighties eighties synth rock classics they can fit over Still it. Still, just send it back, and every track will be jump. Him and his daughter play jump to whatever drum beat I've sent them. There you go. We've got, we've got Do you know what? I only chose jump because I couldn't remember how to play Axel F. That was the only stuff <laughs> I used to play on my synth. Yeah. Are you musical at all, Ed? Not Have at all. Have you ever had any, any Come on, mate. No? I played the bassoon to grade yes. three. <laughs> oh, that was, was a turnaround. briefly the lead singer in a, in a uh, heavy metal band uh, when I was 15, uh, and that was it. Uh, I've, I, I know, I've, I think I always... I wanted to learn the guitar when I was younger, or the drums, but then my friends started learning the guitar and drums and I didn't want to seem like I was copying them, so I learnt the bassoon, which was a real left turn. <laughs> and I think I, I think I made the wrong choice. I think I, I assumed the bassoon would sort of take on a coolness over the years. I thought I was getting ahead of the game, but it's really, it's, it's not got to where I thought it would. What was yeah. your metal band called? Tethered Priest. Nice. Tethered Priest. I was also in a very short-lived... Uh, hardcore band called Spilled Pint, but we never even had a rehearsal. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. We, we were in a band together, Pip, weren't we? Yeah, which one were you in? But, I because think... I had numerous bands that never actually, exactly as Ed said, that they never actually had a rehearsal. We just came up with a good name. Like There was ones I had at school that I'd draw the artwork yeah. for, so I was in a band called, called Anti-Penultimate, <laughs> um, which is the one before the one before the last yeah. one, um, and again, I, like, I drew all these artworks on 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 on, on little ta- tape packages. T- told everyone in school that I was in this cool band, and it was me and my mate Rick, and we'd never practice. Uh, were you in Lardass, Chris? Yeah, <laughs> Lardass. We we had a few yeah, slots booked up and down uh, in Essex, and then we just yeah. I don't think we don't. We I think I wrote three lines about having four nipples or something like that. You see, that you see, it. at that point, I was big on on Malcolm McLaren and his kind of you've got to make a noise and make a name for yourself. So I booked us numerous gigs up and down Essex, even though we'd never written any songs or practiced. And each time a gig came around, we're like. Well, we're not going to that one then, are we? <laughs> <laughs> so there was just all these venues that had Lardas booked to play. We just, nope, not not going to that. Did and that not work? My mum's landline. Were people not like going? Have you heard of this? These Lardas guys? They never show up to gigs. <laughs> we we got in the paper, and and genuinely, we were cited as one of the reasons uh, the Lunar Club, a local club to me, closed down. Because we were scheduled to play there, supporting a band who were the former members of a band who had been huge locally. And obviously we didn't turn up. Less people turned up than were in the headline band. And the people who ran the venue just went, let's call it a day. This just just really isn't working. Not only are the crowds not turning up, the bands aren't turning up. So, So, yeah, we wrapped that one up. Punk rock, man, punk rock. You, you've had a, a lot of great band names over the years, James. Have, have they all been actual bands that actually play and do stuff? Yeah, all of them that I kind of like, yeah, that, that I list all the time, all did gigs. So 
Pin Drop was the first band I was in that did gigs as a new metal band with a guitarist who <laughs> played Joe Satriani's solos over the top of what we did. Most of which turned out to Amazing. be literal Joe Satriani solos and we, the rest of us just, <laughs> just didn't know because we weren't as into him. And then later on, people would call us out and be like, is that a Satriani solo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, <laughs> just copied it. Um, a mate of mine who I was who I was into new metal with sent me an interview recently of this sports person and they'd been asked who if they could pick a band to play their theme tune as they as they come out um at a live event who would it be and he paused and went probably POD POD would be pretty cool and we were in tears and this was recorded this month <laughs> this month his dream right. band to play him out first, is POD they are the first band I ever saw live at a gig I went to by myself no, no amazing way. yeah they, they, oh, weren't they like secretly religious or something not yeah, secret they, 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 like, not yeah, not a secret, secret. yeah they, so they, they supported they were supporting I went to see Korn at Wembley Arena and they and they were supporting uh, yeah, right. not not a secret at all. Super big old Christians. They did not. Amazing. I I remember I was I was in America once as an eighteen year old on my own, and I went to see Slipknot, but purely because I wanted to see Head PE support. <laughs> yeah, I, I still listen. I, was, I still listen to Crazy Legs by Head PE because it's oh the most, god, it's their best tune. It's such a tune, it's and so it's good. the most reprehensible lyrics of any song. It's, it really of all is. Time. <laughs> Really and is. it shocks me every time, like an old woman. I like clutch my pearls every time. Every time they. that whole album, though. That whole album. Not only is it reprehensible lyrics, half of them are stolen from Snoop Dogg, <laughs> which I didn't know at the time. It's like Ed, it's like Ed's band or, or James's band and the Joe Satriani yeah. solos. Like we want some Snoop Dogg style lyrics. Okay. And I, I forget every time. So I listen to Crazy Legs and then sing along to the first like two lines. And then the third line is the N-word seven times in a row. Oh, yeah! <laughs> so you sort oh, of get God. to that point and then go, oh, no, I'm not singing anymore. Just wait. I'll wait for some is, more of the sort of lighter sec- uh, sex stuff. Is Crazy Legs the one that starts with, come to your house, yeah. make l- love to your spouse, fuck her in the mouth? Then I'm out. Then I'm gone. Then I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. Not messing around. That's a- or me and and chris had one of our favorite nights ever when we saw head pe supporting papa roach and then went to fit and then went to feet first at the uh at coco for it wasn't one of my favorite nights ever mate um i saw both of them on the same day at ozfest amazing and head pe i was at the front row for because i I wanted to hear the song killing time which they did it was great although my favorite head pe song is a demo that i've gotten by them from it was free with a mag- magazine I bought in France as a teenager. Well, I was thirteen. We went on a holiday to France. There was a French metal magazine of which I'd understood none of the words, but I bought it because <laughs> there was a free CD on the front of it. And one of the uh, tracks on the free CD was a Head PE demo, which you just can't get anywhere at all. I've oh, looked wow. to the internet for it, but I've still got it. It's called Hangman, and I really love it. So that's my favourite Head PE song. So I'm like a hardcore Head PE fan, if ever there was one. Um- I mean, this feels like a contest now of who's seen them the most recently, but I went to see Head PE a couple of years ago um, at, at, at Chinnery's purely the because... End, didn't they? Yeah, or my old sound man, sound man Jim, became the sound man for Head PE. Right. And he's this, he's this old metaler who, who worked at local clubs in, like, Greys and Stamford and all around our area, and somehow he ended up on tour with Head PE, and they adored him. They called him J- Jimbo Slice, which he had no idea what it meant. He didn't know it was referencing a, a, a street fighter. 
And yeah, I, I, I went along and just, I was in awe. But I was disappointed because they did kill in time. But as a lot of bands who've been touring for years and years, they did it in like an, a different way. And they did it as like a reggae oh, uh, God, version no. of it. So it was really like, just killing time. Actually, I kind of like, quite like it now you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that I thought it sounded awful. I'll keep going. As soon as you did it, I was like, that sounds fucking great. Yeah, yeah, good idea, actually. That actually sounds all right. We, we did, met MCUD, yeah. didn't we, in Wolverhampton. That was exciting. What, went, what we, was that? We, we went to see Head P. I'm sure that was yeah. uh, near you at yeah, uni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we met MCUD, and we were desperate to have oh. a chat with him, but he was way more interested with the, the female groupies, wasn't he? We yeah. We well, that looking. The, this is now just a head PE podcast, but I remember now. That <laughs> I always knew in, my time. In, it's about in, time. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in, in Kerrang, head PE had done a thing saying, write into us and tell us the best thing that you can take us to do on our day off from tour in the UK. <laughs> and I'd, I'd hit them up suggesting we go go-karting. I've never been go-karting in my life. Just obviously I thought that would look cool to head PE. And I remember at that gig when we met them, I tried to say, oh, yeah, I hit up about the day off. Do you want to do go-karting? And they were purely just there to talk to young girls and, <laughs> and completely ignore me and my when go-karting them, plans. The, the DJ kept skateboarding around the stage when I saw them. He yes. Had, he's yes. a very underused member of the band. He doesn't really have much and, to and do in each song. So he wasn't very good on the skateboard either, from no. what I remember, James, as well. I, I used to see him just stack it. Well, at the end of the day, it's it's just a very flat stage with loads of cables and wires all over the floor. (laughs) I mean, it's not ideal for a skater. Of of course you're going to fall over a bit. But the DJs DJs in metal bands never have anything to do. They've got, like, one song (laughs) where they scratch, and then the rest of... So, like, Sid from Slipknot, he's still in Slipknot, (laughs) but now he's got a running machine on stage. That goes really slowly and he just like runs against the tide of it and then like spends the rest of the time running around the stage being creepy in everyone else's face. <laughs> that I, I guarantee that that happened as soon as he got one of them apps on his phone that, that tells him how much walking he's done each day. And he's like, well, if I'm going to be on there for 90 minutes, I may as well get some fucking... I'm, I'm not just going to stand behind the up. decks doing nothing. Yeah. Um, or, or how have you, you found it, Ed? Getting to meet a lot of your 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 metal metal heroes because you've got a new podcast, Lifers, right? And yeah, it's, it's it's talking to a lot of of metal bands and stuff. Yeah, it? it's it's a nice mix as well of uh, people that I've liked for years, and then also people who've been in bands for like forty years and have sort of who I've heard of, but have sort of got to a certain level and then not got beyond that. So. Uh, we spoke yeah. to we spoke to bands like Diamond Head, uh, who've been around for fucking like fifty, sixty years, and were a massive influence on Metallica. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's. Wow. I found it fascinating just finding out about the music industry and how little money there is, especially in genres like metal, and how much you need to throw into it to actually keep going because you're not getting fucking Partic- paid for it. Particularly at that mid level as well. Like I would say, the band I've seen the most is Capdown. Yeah, but I've never gone to see Capdown. Mm-hmm. They just supported every punk band, every new metal band, everyone that came over to the UK. You'd have Capdown on support, and but again, that that's they're only going to be getting a small amount for all of those gigs, and yeah. we, um, the, I'd love them every the time. Guy, the I'd guy, be excited to see them on there, but I wouldn't actually be buying their albums or anything. The guy in Capdown with the big glasses, yeah. Uh, I, I had someone interview me backstage at a gig in Milton Keynes. He was doing like a little documentary uh, about him himself, like starting out in stand up, and he was interviewing me before my gig. And 
he had a sound man and uh, a camera guy with him. And one of them was that guy from Cap Town. And, 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 and I, 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 I looked at him and went, hey, mate, are you in Cap Town? And he was like, yeah. He really, he really laughed about it. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> but like, yeah, it was, it was bad. I was, I was pretty starstruck. It's, it's, it's weird because anything that isn't your own world, you can't imagine. Like, you yeah. assume everyone's huge. I always <laughs> remember getting to work with Sage Francis and B. Dolan because, to me, they were the, mm. the the best rappers in the world and they were huge. And then I got to two of them and said, like, oh, no, they're just guys making a living, the same as everyone. And another person who is one of my favourite rappers of all time and I'm now just really good pals with over the internet is, is Jean Grey. Yeah. You guys met up with in New York and had an off, yeah. off menu. But again, in my mind, she's one of the the, the legends of hip hop, like li- literally mm. an icon. And then you chat to her and she's like, yeah, well, I'm trying to make a living. It's mm. c- because you're not at that f- 50 cent level or whomever else. Everyone else. Yeah, it's there's only a scraping f- a living. And in that. all genres, there's only a few people who are at that level. Like speaking mm, to yeah. Brian from Diamond Head. Because they got brought out to support Metallica at the Big Four gigs that they did in Milton Keynes a, a fair few years ago. Yeah, uh, but they're like you know they're from the Midlands. Like Brian lives in a like a nice but modest house in Stourbridge in in the in the Midlands, and they got dragged out to do these gigs. And he said he didn't realise the scale of it. They everyone else had wireless guitars, and he was still playing with a wired guitar, but the lead wasn't long enough to stretch to the amp, so they oh, had wow. to bring all the amps into the middle of the stage so he could plug in. And it's just, it's, it's, and he's lovely. He's so lovely. He's like, oh, it's a brilliant day. We, we loved it. He's so gentle and loved it so much, but it's sort of heartbreaking at the same time. Sure. Very I remember, cool. I remember our, our first ever big support slot we got was supporting Mark Ronson. And we were like, and this was with Soundman Jim as our Soundman. And we were crazy excited. And then we did the first gig in, in Portsmouth. And then we were like, right, shall we head to our hotel? And then we're like, tomorrow's gig's in Glasgow. For a big band like Mark Ronson, they've got mini bu- or big tour buses with beds in and all that. For us, we literally had to finish the gig, get in the van, drive to Glasgow and play the next gig, just just sitting in the back of the van. Because we, exactly as that, we hadn't really thought about the scale of these these big shows where people are earning tonnes of money. You, you fly in or you s- s- sleeper buses and all that. And yeah, wow. it's bloody madness. Who was your favourite person you interviewed, Ed? Who's the funniest or the most crazy? The, I mean, I haven't everyone, had a chance everyone to talk was to lovely. Yet. Okay, uh, we went to so obviously a lot of them we did by going to people's houses uh, and meeting up with them in the pub and stuff. But then when lockdown happened, we did a lot online. But uh, the we went to Benji Webb from Skindred's house uh, in Newport, yes. and the guy's Amazing. just a legend. Like he's such a he's such a character. Like so, we pulled up in the taxi. We normally take a couple of seconds to get the mic hooked up, start recording so we can record. As soon as the cab pulled up, he's straight out the house, dressed in like in a velour tracksuit with a massive like bedazzled cross around his neck. Uh, and he's got two stone lions outside his house that he spray painted the Jamaican flag colours onto. Like he's, he's exactly as you want Amazing. him to be. And he brought us into this room, yeah. in, into his front room, and he had uh, Muhammad Ali fights like just playing on his TV. And he was like, I just watched these all day. I watched these all day. He was fucking brilliant. He was so funny. And he was so blunt as well because we spoke to loads of people about how do you balance time between touring? If you've got a tour and you've got to make music, how do you balance time between that 
and your family, uh, what comes first, uh, the, uh, playing these two roles. And he was just so blunt. He was like, oh, my music comes first. I'm a musician. Yeah, fuck my kids. <laughs> like, he was, he was hilarious. So he was, he was amazing. Oh. Uh, and I spoke to Danny Filth from Cradle of Filth for about an hour and a half on, was, on Zoom I was going to well. ask about that. Because ones like that, with that kind of metal band, it really feels like meeting them and talking to them is going to destroy a lot of the mystique because they're not actually a vampire or they're not actually... A, you know what I mean? They're, sure. They're but, some bloke. But with Danny and with Cradle of Filth, what I really like about Cradle of Filth is they are super black metal and super evil on the, on the face of it. But also, you can tell it's all done with a glint in their eye as well. Like they're very British. It's quite sort. It's it's very dry. So I was sort of expecting him to be a bit a bit cheeky. But they were like, I got to yeah. tell him that I got you know I got sent home from a from a cricket match at school because I turned up wearing a, a bootleg Cradle of Filth T-shirt that had the word "fuck" on the back. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just the word "fuck." It wasn't in the context of a sentence. It was just "fuck" in massive red letters on the back of my T-shirt. <laughs> I remember those t-shirts. I, I, when I like got into metal and stuff, I was thirteen, and I would probably at that point still have called myself. Well, I definitely at that point was still calling myself a Christian because I was raised Christian and stuff. And so when I got into metal and cra- I saw Cradle of the Filth in these magazines that I was buying, and there was one of like the, all their t-shirts, and there was one t-shirt that said "Jesus is a cunt" on it, and like. Uh, a sexy lady was wearing it and i remember in my head at that point thinking oh, maybe i am getting into some dangerous waters here I, 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 I maybe i shouldn't be listening to all this music that does seem quite i like jesus no that is i'll be i'll be the first to admit that is full-on but they did it, it was they, they did it to come up with the most full-on t-shirt possible and yeah. then someone got arrested wearing it so that got them into the news and that made that sort of blew them up a bit so it worked right. i love it I love it though because at least it's in context. At least it's not just the word, the word fuck. fuck. <laughs> yeah, I bought my, mine was like five pounds from Camden Market. Someone had made that, and my my friend had one that said wanker, but that was official merch. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I always remember n- near us there was a metal stall at Basildon Market, and I'd I'd be going and 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 looking at the new metal T-shirts, and genuinely across the line, I go, it's nice. But let's have a look and see if it's an all-over print. <laughs> I don't really want it. If it's, if it's not an all-over, you know, what's the point? If it's, that was purely for metal, that the all-over print T-shirts were yeah. the, the thing that you want. You don't just want it on the front. No. I'd like it. I'd like some kind of all-over and something on the sleeves. Absolutely. Has anyone got any f- favourite gig memories, then, of, of gigs they've been to? Because, again, if, as we're all s- sitting in, in lockdown, unable to leave the house, or and gigs are a thing of the past at the moment... Is there anything that's, that, that jumps out to anyone? I actually got... It's fairly recent, but... <clears throat> so I saw Slipknot Download last year and then went to see them at uh, the O2 in January. And then, because of, like, various podcast-based things, uh, we got to go... Me and Benito... James didn't come, but me and Benito got to go and see Slipknot record a BBC session in front of 120 people uh, uh made a veil. Um, and it was... Just that was just the most incredible experience, and they'd not played a gig that small in twenty years. They said it was phenomenal. Could you well, watch I, that on I, the iPlayer? I think you can. I think they yeah, they, the they filmed it. Yeah, 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 it's on the iPlayer. Yeah, yeah. Well, James, I feel bad now because I was also invited to that and went. Nah, I'm probably yeah. no. It's, it's a long way to go because I was meant to 
I'd be having Slipknot on the podcast and then it it fell through last minute. That's, that's, exa- that's exactly oh. what happened to us. Yeah. So I, and obviously... But we're doing that, this, that, so that if gut- you want to come that along... gutted me, like, completely. Yeah. Like, that we were going to have Corey on off-menu and then they were very nice and said, we're really sorry about this, come and watch this. And if anything, like, that, that was a fucking amazing experience. I wouldn't have given that up for anything. Yeah, I felt awkward because I've never been... Th- that into Slipknot. Obviously, I liked Wait and Bleed, like everyone who went to metal clubs. But other than that, I didn't really hadn't 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 got that into him. But I was like, I can't turn that down as a podcast guest. That's just Pip. Let me tell insane. you, if, if if yours had not fallen through and ours had, and you told me you weren't that big a fan, I would not be doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been heartbreaking. Have you got any any favourites, uh, James, uh, from your going to gigs days? Um. One of my favourite experiences was when was with Ed actually when um, we went to see Death Grips together. Oh, I was Amazing. just going to say that was going to be my choice, Death Grips. Yeah, because uh, it was <laughs> it is so funny because like Ed at the time, I think I'd played Ed a couple of Death Grips songs, and um, I, you know I was probably actively trying to get Ed into Death Grips. So Ed had heard yeah. a few songs and thought, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's still on the fence. I was like, well, let's go to this gig. And so I thought, this is it. This is the night I'm going to win Ed over. And he'll, he'll love Death Grips at the end of this gig. And I've got Ed into the gig. And we get there. And obviously their fans are... And I think their fans will absolutely take this on the chin and, and wear this as a badge of pride. <laughs> the, the worst people in the world. And it's very... <laughs> um, just very... You know, just middle-class uni students who are doing everything ironically. And uh, it, it doesn't feel great turning up and being like well, i guess i'm this kind of person then but whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we get there and there's not a support act on and at half eight i think it was the lights in the room it's brixton academy the lights in the room went down and like everyone flooded in there and this noise started as a really low kind of like and everyone's like oh my god and everyone started going crazy and that noise went on and i'm not exaggerating we timed it for 90 minutes yeah an hour and a half (laughs) and they didn't come on stage for an hour and a half and throughout that whole thing the audience were like oh wow because of the way their fans are they just lent into it and were fully like you know keeping up the energy of the pre-show like cheering and woo and doing that for the whole thing because they thought it was funny and i'd say ed every 10 15 minutes and and, and probably got short of those intervals as it went on ed just turned to me and go I'm sorry, mate. I think I'm going to go in a second. Like, <laughs> it, 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 if, they, if they don't start in another couple of minutes, I'm just going to leave. And I was like, I think completely I'm just, understand. I think I'm five years too old for that now. Like, I, I think I would have appreciated that when I was younger. Like, going, oh, this is, oh, wow, they, this is so avant-garde, the way they're doing this. They're trolling the audience. This is incredible. But I think I'm just so done with the bullshit. I just want to, I want to be home before midnight and I'm not standing there listening yeah. to a droning noise. I, get, I got the joke after 10 minutes. It would have been funny yeah. after 10 yeah. minutes. Oh, we got the joke, all right. And then, and then oh, that's a hell of a support act. Yeah, that was basically the support act is that yeah. noise. And let's see who we can drive crazy with it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, at the time, I absolutely hated it. But I was delighted that Death Grips had done it. Obviously, of all the bands that I like, I'd rather get trolled by Death Grips. That's their whole thing. But when you're trying to convince your mate to get into a band, <laughs> <laughs> and that, oh, this is not looking good for Ed becoming a Death Grips fan. One of one of the gigs I've laughed at the most is actually one that James mentions in his book last year, which is I saw uh, the uh, I mean hard hardcore slash metal band uh, Nails at Temples Festival in Bristol, 
and they dedicated and I don't I don't think they were being ironic honestly they dedicated every single song individually to people who talk shit behind their backs so <laughs> this, go, this goes out to the people who talk shit behind our backs and they go into they're like one minute long songs they're like grindcore length songs and then they'd finish and we're like Okay, this next one, sometimes people talk shit behind your back, and this is who this song's going out to. <laughs> About 20 songs. Like, what had happened just before that gig? Or who had talked shit behind their back? Who had they found out about just before that I gig? I think they're a very... If you look at their music and the titles of their songs, they're a very angry band. I think, I think they're constantly worried that people are talking shit behind their back. They, they once pulled out going- of a European tour... <laughs> And uh, and said they were splitting up, and then after all the furore died down about them pulling out the European tour, they reformed. <laughs> <laughs> they just couldn't be bothered. Yeah, this couldn't be asked. <laughs> I, I remember having a, a similar support experience at Brixton Academy. I went to see Public Enemy were playing. It takes a nation of millions oh, wow. in order from beginning to end. It was it was at the start of bands doing that, so it didn't feel as as tired as it's it's become a little bit, but. Incredibly excited. Obviously, an album that starts w- w- with the biggest song, so that's that's exciting. You normally have the biggest song at the end when everyone's tired, but yeah. to come out to that, and it was a similar one where we're all waiting a long while, and there was a few support acts, and one of them was Anti Pop Consortium, I think, who I like, but aren't really your mainstream public enemy f- 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 fan base act. And then the Bomb Squad come out, and the Bomb Squad are on decks, and they're like, "Yo." We need you to know that we made all the music for this album. We put this album wouldn't exist if it wasn't for us. Are you ready for Public Enemy? And everyone's going mental. They were doing an hour long support slot. So they came out hyping everyone up going, do you love real hip hop? Do you love Public Enemy? And then played for an hour just DJing. And everyone was getting so annoyed because it was like, this feels like they're doing a f- five-minute thing and then the gig yeah. starts. Were they, were they hoping I think I, that when they said, do you love Public Enemy, everyone was like, yeah, kind of, but we love you guys too, so let's just let's keep it. Yeah, uh, They can come on in a bit for, for all we care. Big, big, big fan of the production, I've got to say. <laughs> I mean, the lyrics are nice, but oh, some of those beats. But yeah, it, I, I think I would have preferred a 90-minute slowly rising drone. Because it was just, it, 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 yeah. it oh, just you teased you. You wouldn't, so. mate, definitely not. <laughs> Stu, have you got any, any favourite um, gigs? I, yeah, I, I did go and see uh, Jane's Addiction um, about five years ago. They come over and played um, uh, the second album Ritual uh, at Brixton Academy. And, and it, 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 it was, it was amazing. And my mate's band uh, was supporting. And afterwards, I said, like, they just looked incredible. Like, Perry Farrell looked cooler than ever and I said like Dave Navarro I said like, st- like I mean he must be in his sort of mid 50s like absolutely ripped six pack and then my mate went as I walked past their dressing room he saw the makeup artist accentuating <laughs> the six pack <laughs> with makeup <laughs> which kind of broke my heart a little bit but, uh, oh no I like that more now I love that <laughs> dedication to- you've got a you've got a ve- You've got to vaguely be in shape to do that, right? Because it's not like you could just yeah, get really I, fat and draw it off. I couldn't get away with it. I couldn't get away with it. It'd solve your handstand problem with your T-shirt. It would. <laughs> it would. <laughs> That's the solution. You're going to want your T-shirt to ride up now. Yeah. <laughs> Show the artwork. Chris, have you got any, any gig memories that you... Death Grips, I was going to say, because um, we, 
check them out. Because where did we saw them? It was in it was XO Wire, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and and they didn't do that sort of like trollish ninety minute wind up, but in between no. every song was just insane white noise, yeah. and then a song would drop and everyone would just go mental. It was pretty good, but. The older I've got, the further back now I get from the crowd. Like, when we were younger, we was always in the pit, and now I like to stand from afar. And like you say, yeah. Ed, like, sometimes, this isn't very cool, but I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen here, and if I leave now, I'm mm. going to be all this queue get on that train. I do and I hate time. myself for that. <laughs> I, I, do every, I do it every time. <laughs> I, especially, like, when I know... Or if it's a big gig, so, like, Slipknot the O2, yeah. I get to when they go off stage the first time, I know exactly what they're going to play at the encore... Start walking back then, so you're by the door. Watch the encore yes. first out the door. You've got you've got what, to do it. Exactly. I'm not being trapped in a crush yeah. with these people. No. 100%. I um I had someone hit me up during lockdown and asked me to be part of a an online kind of fundraiser thing for all the venues that are struggling in this time, and you know about supporting l- small gigs and these mid mid level venues. And I just sent a really honest response, going, "I'd feel like a fraud, mate, because." I'm too old to be going to mid-level gig venues these days. I want somewhere that there's an option to sit down or or some some level of comfort. I was like, I can't lie. If we weren't on lockdown, I wouldn't be in any of these venues. So I can't I can't be involved in that. And it was. Have you been to many gigs where you sit like recently? Actually, he we went to see at the drive-in at the Roundhouse, didn't we? We got to sit down for that. Nice. And that was that was and that was really good. Wow, it was good. And we got to, to 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 pop backstage briefly beforehand and say hello to C- C- Cedric and that, and then s- sit and watch them do. I, I think at the drive-in, a, a one of the best live bands I've ever seen. Oh, I think great, C- C- Cedric as a front man is just mm. like nobody else. I absolutely Ed adore it. And yeah, the most mad Cedric story from a, a like an online clickbaity thing. What was it you sent me about his dog? Oh, God, I can't was, even remember. It was bonkers, It was the though. maddest I mean, they... thing, like, Scientologists <laughs> trying to kind of, like, destroy his life and poisoning his yeah. dog. And, oh, yeah. that's, all, that's, that's all true. I had him on yeah. my podcast, and we originally delayed it because of all the controversy around... Because his wife used to be a Scientologist. Right, OK. Um, and to go into bleak detail, she was abused in... in within it all and has since spoken out against the guy who did it who's a famous actor mm-hmm. oh um, yeah the guy from that 70s show right yeah yeah i, was, I mean i was leaving it vague but yeah yeah <laughs> da- danny, danny from masterson. that 70s show danny masterson, <laughs> it's, masterson. It. it's on it's but on yeah, <laughs> but yeah it's been absolutely insane the people they've had just outside their house and and just doing the weirdest, all the like you you see on Louis through documentaries mm. about all the weirdness of Scientology of them filming people and all that. But hundred percent legit. It's exactly what they've gone through. Yeah, yeah. I remember so it's, 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 it's bizarre. I remember seeing seeing them seeing out the drive-in on. I can't even remember what year it was, but uh, so it was the NME tour. But it was like back. It was back in the day. But it was when there was so much stuff in the press about them not wanting anyone to crowd surf or mosh mm. or push up against each other. And he used to, he stopped the gig on multiple occasions for people crowd surfing to tell them off. Yeah. Amazing. When they're like love literally throwing themselves around the stage like nobody's business. Yeah. That legendary George <laughs> Holland performance when they're like ragdolls just chucking themselves mm. around everywhere. And then, hey, guys, stop crowd surfing, okay? <laughs> Be a bit more mindful of each other. Anyway, I'm going to headbutt this chair and throw my guitar in the air and just see where it lands. Oh, on me again. 
But at that, like, at that gig, someone threw a pint at him and it sailed through the air, like, completely level. And he caught the pint, <laughs> took a drink from it and threw it back in. It was fucking incredible. Oh, Amazing. I got... I got Danny Lona from Nine Inch Nails and, and Pussifer and all that into at the drive-in. And it was hilarious because I was talking to him, because he worked on my solo record with me. And I was talking to him and he was saying that they toured with Nine Inch Nails when Danny was in Nine Inch Nails. And the first night, they went out to watch them and went, ah, oh, they've got shirts and ties on. I'm not up for this. And didn't watch them for the whole tour because <laughs> they were like, oh, they've got shirts and ties on and we're Nine Inch Nails and we're, and we're metal. So they didn't, they toured with them for like a year and didn't watch them at all. And now he's like, they're amazing. They're so good. They're the best yeah. live band ever. I'm like, man, you missed them in their prime. I'm, like, um, the, 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 I'm currently sitting in the room where I listen to all like vinyl and stuff. So now I think after this, I'm going to listen to Relationship of Command and keep on drinking wine. And my girlfriend wonder where I've gone. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I've been doing. I've been coming up here to do work during the day and getting no work done and just listening to records. It's been so yeah. much fun. Yeah. You see, that's the beauty of the both of you having new music-based podcasts is that is work. Yes. You can justify that. It counts as work. It's all tax deductible. Yep. You could justify any of it and go, I've had n- numerous things like that before. I'm like... I've got a busy day today. I've got a lot of records to listen to, or a lot of a lot of yeah. TV shows to watch in in preparation and research. So no, it's work. It counts. <laughs> Chris, you dropped off of our Zoom when I was asking people what they've been up to. Is there any updates uh, yeah. on your on your Warhammer figures? Because Ed, yeah, you did uh, my like girlfriend's a... my girlfriend split up with me basically. <laughs> She's, she's she's so sick of little plastic things. She even said to my mum the other day, she's she's like, it's just getting out of hand now. Cause, uh, I love it. Or oh, she said that on a... Because we were on a, a, a Zoom with, weirdly, our, our mate's parents and a few other people the other day, and uh, you brought your missus in to introduce her, and Warhammer came up and you talked about how long you kept it a secret before you let her know that you were into Warhammer. Yeah. And then you said it was amazing because she accepted it. And she was sat there and she literally said then, she's like, yeah, but at first you kind of implied like you used to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> like it was something you were into as a kid. I, I and, was now, hiding, and now yeah. it's constant. Yeah, I mean, I used to hide like my Warhammer, like my Warhammer mags under my pawn mags, but now like they're just <laughs> on top of them basically. And yeah, I've, I've done that a bit. Um, I've been a- nailing it. headstands like every day. <laughs> nailing them. I've or, been or, nailing or, them on cars. Just or anywhere. James and Ed on 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 the podcast where Stu said that he wanted to learn to do a headstand. Chris l- l- literally g- got up and did a headstand. Oh. <laughs> just the old the old man. Oh. So I was like, "Well, one of these. There you go." Do you know what? I really years. thought you was going to fall over as well, and you you <laughs> fucking nailed it perfectly. <laughs> have you um? Sure, have you told the guys that um Tom's been sending videos of headstands to you and stuff like that now? Uh, y- yeah, yeah. yeah. Mates wow. of ours have started doing headstands now, all all oh, just in mockery God. of Stu's. Of yeah, Stu's I mean, efforts, t- Tom Tom Danny's with his shirt off because obviously he's, he's done a bit of weight and he's looking a bit trim. So he sent me one uh, just in a, a small pair of shorts. <laughs> Calling him Fat Tom really paid off. He's really, <laughs> yeah. he's really, he's really trimmed up. So, so it's really beating him down, really... isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. Ed, did you do a? D&D thing for, for Comic Relief Reese. I saw yeah. that and I thought, well, I've, either you're Incredible. a fan or you're not a fan, but there's <laughs> going to be some conversation 
Well, I, 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 I've never played D&D before, but they, they organised it. So the, a guy called Paul Foxcroft runs a night called Questing Time and he organised a thing with uh, Comic Relief. To, he basically, on Questing Time, yeah. he gets comedians to play D&D, which is a Amazing. fucking nightmare because he's a brilliant, you know, he's, a, he's the dungeon master. But he has to do that, which seems really difficult to maintain that story and improvise around it. But also rallying yeah. comedians who either don't know what the fuck's going on or don't give a shit what's going on. So it was a really ragtag group. I immediately tried to play it the best I possibly could because that's my personality, <laughs> as did Sue Perkins. Nish Kumar was playing it, and his character, I think, within minute one, had rolled a big fat bifter next to a tree. So we knew he wasn't, he wasn't playing it properly. And Sarah Pascoe was just playing with her actual dog. So it's... <laughs> So it was a bit. He did a really good job of rallying, rallying all of us. But it was really fun. I love it. I think because my fian, my fiance plays, uh, and she's just started a new campaign with her group. And I think I'm going to muscle my way in on that because I loved it. Amazing. Like I mentioned it to Chris, and Chris said, "So is Ed into D and D?" And I said, "I said I don't know, but he was a metaler as a kid. Yeah. So there's 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 a pretty good crossover. I had in, the full, I had the full Warhammer forty thousand set, but my, I'm too cack handed to paint it, so I just never I never did it. I just never played, never did it. But I love the I idea of it. The the outfit that is the kind of crossover point from metaler. To, to Dungeons and Dragons is the full length Matrix style yeah. jacket. Isn't oh, I had it? one that's, of those. Did yeah. you? Yeah, I had a trench coat. I had a, <laughs> yeah. I had a leather trench coat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ed, we were talking about this the other day. So when you wore that, did you think you were Neo? Because I, I didn't buy one, but I figured if I did, I probably would traverse to thinking I was Neo at some point from the Matrix. I always knew I was too fat to be Neo at that age. <laughs> There's absolutely. I couldn't. I could. I was so fat. I couldn't have squeezed my way out of the matrix. <laughs> you know those pods he pops out of. I would have just got stuck halfway through. I just wanted a long Love coat. It. it was more like Mar- it was more like Marilyn Manson sort of level stuff, like proper, just like goth metal metal style things. Yeah, but I love I, it. Yeah. I, I love it at that age that it's like, oh, I'd be cool to look like a school shooter. I, I literally had that regularly. It's like, how grim and bleak. But it is. And but dark, it's, but it? it's sort of true because I got into metal at that point. So I think the first issue of Kerrang! Yeah. that I bought was uh, an issue with Marilyn Manson on the cover post-Columbine. Yeah. But I don't think yeah. I, I don't think I went, well, look at what they were wearing. I'll buy one of those. I don't think that was my thought process. But what a weird time to get into music. Yeah. B- b- bizarre. What, on the... On the on the D&D front when I'm 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 similar to Nish's approach and when Chris has come over and bought a blood bowl I'll revel in the fact that he'll spend me he'll spend half an hour explaining the rules and I'll just be sitting there thinking I don't care this is brilliant he cares so much and I just don't care and every move Chris will pause and stroke his chin for me and go, hmm, oh, <laughs> oh. Spend 20 minutes, then make his move. It'll go to my guy. I'll go, I'll move in there, in there, in there. I tell you, so, that, right. that's the beauty of it, though, because that's all I want is you just to, you know, just passively nod and agree and then make a move and then let me crush you. And then <laughs> I can go home and sleep soundly. That's, that's all I need. But what I, I, but I we, think we've th- people enjoy home. about d and I beat being... him. <laughs> <laughs> What's really exciting Destroyed about it him. he's you never can, played it before. You can do anything, right? You can say, oh, I just, I want to I do this, and then the dungeon master has to deal with it. 
And the way I took that was, I'm going to try and yeah. do really well in this game, and I'm going to try and spot things and you know get around the side of things and try an interesting way of doing. And Nish was literally like, I'm going to have a spliff and then do a shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> can we've been, can we've my been character shit? <laughs> we did a we did a New Year's Eve bet that we've all like uh, gone back on, haven't we? That was like last year. And if I didn't. If I was to drink, I had to shave my hair, which I never did. And if you didn't, <laughs> if you stayed as fat as you are, Stu, you had to play Dungeons and Dragons with me. And we, we never did, did we, basically? No. And I, I, I still am tempted to shave my hair off because I just want to get you playing it because you have no... You can't suspend your disbelief, can you? Uh, Not in the slightest. Or Stu struggles with, with horror films. With Stu, Stu can't watch horror films or su- superhero films. He generally just watches... Dark, bleak British films like like scum and stuff like that because he can believe that. Because you need them to be real, you need to believe them completely. Yeah. When Chris was trying to explain Warhammer to me, mm-hmm. like just the whole concept of like as as a kid growing up with toy soldiers, you just made the noises and knocked them all over, and then they up. Can you remember uh, crossbows and catapults? Yeah, Amazing yeah, game. yeah, yeah. I mean, what no. a game that was! But again, done and dusted in ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> On to something new. No, so, what, so what are your favourite films then, Stu? Um, I like kind of... Um, shame. You like Shame. You I like, like the film Shame, yeah. The that's your only film, movie yeah. that you watch. Is that, is that yeah, real to you? Basically. Is that... Is that... Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not a sex addict, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congrats. No, I just kind of like that, that, that bleak I saw, British... I saw, I saw Shame in the cinema with a girl who yeah. was just a mate and in the first five minutes... Fassbender's massive cock is flapping along the screen. <laughs> yeah. And I was just it was the most awkward watching of anything. I was like oh, let's not let's not go into the details of this film with, Nish, with Nish your is, partner. Weirdly, Nish has got an amazing routine about watching Shane with his dad, uh, which fe- features the line and then yeah. Michael Fassbender gets it out and let me tell you that man can bend some serious fass. indeed or Brett Goldstein went to see um, Irreversible on a first date didn't he he said it was just Mm. it was the worst date movie ever just a really uncomfortable (laughs) uncomfortable moments I am the subject of Brett and films and you Pip I've got I'm annoyed with you I've got a bone to pick with you because Brett's doing this uh, uh, like film club quarantine film club thing where people can recommend a film and I and he said he's been asking me for one, so I sent him my recommendation, wrote a whole paragraph about the film I want to recommend, and he got back to me going, "Pip's already recommended that one, so you can't do it." Ooh. So now I've got to write a different one. I had that and, as well. And, and when, Not and when I recommended it, he said, "Are you just trying to c- come across as really?" cool and not racist i was like well number yeah. one i'm not racist so i'm not trying to come across as, yeah. as not racist that 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 just happens to be a byproduct of how i try to live my life but yeah a, a blind spotting it's amazing right it's incredible um, for one it says a lot about brett that that's his immediate response that if you like a film <laughs> if you like a film which is in any way about race and is anti-racism then you must be some little goody goody trying to try to sh- show everyone how great you are i picked American History X, he seemed fine with it. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely loves that. He likes half of it. And, but like, <laughs> Blind Spotted is inc- just incredible. The whole thing is amazing. And, uh, 
I was so excited to recommend it because I watched it during lockdown and it was like yeah. the best film I've seen uh, since because I've been watching a lot of new films during lockdown and it blew my mind. I was like, I'll happily write you a paragraph about this. It was like, bad, bad luck, come up with another one. So now I've got to think did, about what to write about another did, one. Did you watch it after I recommended it on Brett's Film Club? Was that? No, that would have been funny. But I just yeah. got, yeah, I saw this, Brett, it was great. Pip recommended it like to me. To- I'd like to back Pip's recommendation. <laughs> the blind spot. Seriously, seriously, give it a look. I know Watch you kind of ignore. Uh, uh, I know, like, I know, like me, you, uh, you see these film recommendations and scroll through them and ignore them. But I, really, really, give that one a look. I, I, yeah. I loved um, when I saw Dame Baptiste had recommended um, Forrest Gump recently, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll rewatch that. I haven't watched that in many years, so um, I set aside the appropriate amount of time. And when it got to the time, I read the write-up yeah. that Dane had written, and that incidentally was the length of Forrest Gump. So I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't actually watch yeah. the film in the end because his wonderful analysis was just too. Also, would you <laughs> it want was it? Amazing. It was, it was, it was almost. It was the deconstruction of Forrest Gump to the point where you wouldn't want to watch it afterwards, right? Completely, and that sure. The, that was exactly Dane on films to be buried with, and it's why I loved it because I fucking adore Dane. He's su- he's such yeah. a clever fucker. But him on films to be buried with was like, here's my choice, and here's why every perception you have on this film is wrong, and you're racist. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I am. I'd, I'd better pick blind spot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a, I'd better um, turn this round. It's a few years ago. It's a lot, whenever, whenever the last time was, I was in Edinburgh for the full run and I was sharing a flat with a bunch of comedians. We decided to watch a Best Picture winner every single night of the run and that was how we were going to like get through the evenings and pass the time. Amazing, that's a great shout. So many of them are absolute dog shit. And <laughs> Forrest Gump is a pile of shit. Forrest Gump <laughs> is such a bad film, I can't believe that it won. It's just awful. You see, Dane, that would have been one paragraph. That's all you needed to write. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was such a bad film. It, it, some of us, well, the, the really fun thing to do is to just Google what other films were nominated, but also what ones were came out that year and weren't even nominated sometimes. And yeah. you go, how the fuck did this win? Like, I yeah. think Forrest Gump may have even beat something like Pulp Fiction. And you're like, are you shitting me? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's weird what, uh, what films are so of the moment. Mm. And that is one that, in the moment, it's it was amazing. It was the best thing ever. Yeah. And I, I've not watched it in years, so I can't hate on it. But I've had a lot of films like that that, at the moment, I think it's the best f- film ever. I can completely defend it. And then you kind of go, oh. I, I had it recently, in, in fact, a, a, <coughs> watching the, the latest Jay and Silent Bob film. And it, 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 it turned round. Uh-huh. Like, I had Kevin Smith. I was watching it. I had a preview link, and I had Kevin Smith on the podcast two days later. And in the first t- 20 minutes, half hour, I was like, oh, I was a s- idiot teenager when I loved all these films. Because I adore all Kevin Smith films. And I'm watching this reboot and I'm like, yeah. oh shit, I was just a stoner. Like, this feels like if I put on a Cheech and Chong film now. It'd just be like, why did I think this was a good yeah. thing? By the end, th- thankfully, it kind of r- reflects on itself and I settled into it and really enjoyed it. But I had that moment of like, man, I rave about kevin smith films and then mm. being amazing and it turns out i was just a teenager who smoked a lot of weed enjoyed f- fart jokes and wank jokes I was and doing, that um, was it i did a top five on stoner movies the other day for our patreon and yeah. going back over that i was discovering the same stuff mm. i was thinking man i put that on such a higher platform that movie and now even watching clips back i'm kind of like is that funny 
is that actually good? However, yeah. Mall Rats still still cracks me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and I even saw bits bits of a che- I can't watch Cheech and Chong now at all because it no. just reminds me of a, a weird time. But the the scene I saw from Still Smoking actually made me chuckle, and I was really surprised at that. I I figured that that would be the worst of them all. That that Mate, would just be really che- base. But actually, it had quite good timing in it. The 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 bit I saw, I don't know if the whole whole movie. Oh, like Cheech that. and Chong films for me are the same as Cypress Hill albums. Now I'm not talking about I'm, I'm not talking about Cypress Hill singles. I no, can no, completely handle definitely. certain Cypress Hill singles, yeah, yeah. but you put on a Cypress Hill album, and half of it is just people enjoying being stoned <laughs> and, and 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 reveling in the idea of being stoned. It's like, oh right, that's why I loved that at that Cy- time. Cypress Hill Four is that? It is Cheech and Chum. They they're ripping off like this, like a, a foul drug deal throughout it, and it's the right. Two yeah, guys yeah, yeah, sound yeah. Like Cheech and Chum. I would argue that the Cypress Hill rap star rock star double album is way more focused and very good and I could still listen to it now Skull and Bones yeah <laughs> 100% I remember as a, as a teenager I think my exposure to Cypress Hill was on the last Action Hero soundtrack hell of a soundtrack <laughs> great soundtrack great soundtrack and, and it, it, it it had when the sh- 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 shit goes down on it but all they'd done was on the track listing <laughs> they'd change it to the word shit shit ship so they'd made it ship when the ship goes down. They hadn't edited the track at all. Makes more it sense. It still said when the ship goes down, but if it's written down and you're going to hear it as the ship, and it's just about a ship that's sunk and it's not really... you got to be Ed, ready. Ed, yeah. do you know what that reminds me of? What? Do you know what when the ship goes down reminds me of? No, what? When the last ship <laughs> sails. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Go ahead and explain it. Uh, me and James went to... Uh, can, can you explain your friend, please, Ed? Yeah, we... <laughs> <laughs> your friend has started singing, Ed's... Ed. Can you explain him, please? Ed's entire life... When we were in America, Ed's entire life, every single podcast we did, was him having to explain me to every single guest that we had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what a, what a pleasure it is. I mean, I thought... you are a genie. Yeah. You are a genie yeah. in it, so... He just sh- so many of them going, Papa Lapa, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> What's a pop a dup? On the last night of our trip to the States, we were in LA and we were like, we could go to, we could find a fantastic restaurant, we could go out and have a few drinks, maybe go to a club, you know, go and see a band, something like that. What we chose to do on the final night of our trip in LA was go and see Sting's musical, The Last Ship. Uh, oh wow starring and written by Sting Sting was actually in it <laughs> he was the lead oh and oh. We, I mean tickets available on the day yep uh, and we got <laughs> we got pissed and went and watched the Sting musical and laughed out loud throughout at one yep. point in the interval uh, we were talking to a couple because it was all in heavy Geordie accents uh, and it was Amazing. all about it's set on a dockyard uh, during Thatcherism so it was all about strikes and things like that, and like uh, a Tory government. And there's this LA audience lapping it up. And all throughout, James is just going, they don't have a fucking clue what any of this is about. They can't, I can only understand a little bit of this. They're talking in these Geordie accents. What the fuck is going on here? This is ridiculous. And in the interval, James started talking to a couple next to us and going, excuse me, do you understand anything that's going on in this? <laughs> They're going, yeah, we understand a little. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we love Sting. We love Sting. And James is going, do you know who Margaret Thatcher is? Yeah, we know who Margaret Thatcher is. And then at one point, they went to us. 
so why did you guys come see the show? And James went, oh, we came here for a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it so much. It was such a good night. It was such an exciting thing. Because also, the whole time we'd been in LA, it was about a week, there were posters everywhere for the last ship with Sting. And it's... Also, put it in context, this musical has already toured the UK without Sting in it. He wrote it, but Jimmy Nail was the lead. So Sting's had nothing to do with it, really. And he's had to come on board for the LA one to shift some tickets. And so (laughs) it's it's my favourite type of... Because I I went through a massive police phase when I was, like, late teens, early 20s. So I do love Sting. But I'm really in love with, like... Any point in, art, in an artist's career where it goes a bit shit and no one really hears about that time. It was a real privilege to be there in the room. The only time I've ever seen Sting live, someone that I once would have like, <laughs> climbed over other people, my family, to get tickets to see. And I'm just there seeing him do the worst thing he's ever done. Absolutely phoning it in 100%. Everyone around him kind of aware that they're in an absolute dud. But like... <laughs> I just drinking whiskey from a plastic cup and laughing my head off and enjoyed it. <laughs> I loved it so much. And then we had the song stuck in our head for quite a while. Ed bought the soundtrack, didn't you, Ed? Yeah, I love the soundtrack. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It, it makes me. I went to see the band Fozzy. So, so wrestler Chris Jericho's metal band Fozzy. I was having him on the podcast. I was going on his podcast, and I mentioned to him, mate, I'll come along. It'll be a laugh, and it is that kind of. We did that of the kind of the first five, ten minutes. We were enjoying it ironically. And when we just had a few drinks and let our guard down, it was one of the <laughs> best gigs I've ever been to. It was so much fun. Everyone in the crowd, again, grubby metalers, Warhammer fans, who are just, just reveling in this such glam kind of rock, just really f- foot on the monitor, kind of real, real wailing, going, ah! And I was like, wow, this is just... This is everything I wanted it to be. I'm so glad I dropped my hipster veneer to just go. Actually, this is just fun. Forget it. I'm I'm, I'm loving it. But they know about... they know it's ridiculous in Fozzie as well, though. Like they're yeah, they're throwing yeah, themselves yeah, exactly. into it and they're opening themselves up to it and really going for it. Sting I did mean, not I'm know convinced... that musical was shit. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I felt like see, Sting knew. I felt like Sting knew. <laughs> But didn't like, but the great Benito does a very good impression of Sting in the last ship, which is Sting (laughs) constantly standing still with his hands in his pockets, and with his hands on his waistcoat, then with his hands in his pockets again, and just just turning like increment by increment, like face that side of the room, face that side of the room. And really, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this, this is a spoiler for anyone who's going to go and see the last ship. But at the end of the the show, uh, his character dies, and I've never seen an actor so relieved to be doing that scene. Mate, like, I don't. He think, was it, wasn't really end, it wasn't the end of the show. It was a long time before the end of the show <laughs> yeah, that character be fair. dies. Yeah, and the fair. audience uh, like no, were noticeably pissed off because they paid a hundred dollars to see Sting, and he died yeah. a fair chunk of time before the end. Yeah, he was he was amazing. He was back in his LA home before we'd even got out the door of the theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was uh, he was see, he I was love... 3 hours deep into a bang sesh at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because you've caught him in that tr- tr- transitional phase because I believe everyone who performs and is in on the joke is in on the joke against their will. It's it's like they got the the guys who made that film The Room. That's like yeah. notoriously the worst film ever. And now they tour it and they're in on the joke and James Franco made a version of it and they're, they're in on the joke. They weren't originally in on the jokes. There was a period where they were deadly serious. 
then a period where they were hugely offended, and then a period where they went, oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm in on it. Yeah, Tommy Wiseau is just now bullshitting his way through it, going, yeah, we made it as a comedy film, you know? And but oh. Yeah, yeah. But of, co- of, course, of course he didn't. But I believe that everyone else involved in the film went along with it, but also thought this is fucking madness. Um, but he did not think that was a comedy film. The book, The Disaster Artist, is such a phenomenal read. I've not read it. Oh, it's, you've, so it's written by the guy who plays Mark uh, yeah. uh, in the film, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and it's the, you know, the book the, the James Franco film was based on. The James Franco film's fine, but also I don't think you can... Because it's so inherently funny, you can't make a comedy based on it because they're characters sort of already. Well, it's, it's tough, man, because... <clears throat> On the last of these isolation drunkcasts, we talked a little bit about the morals of Tiger King and if we're just laughing at poor people and laughing at idiots. Mm. And it felt awkward because I really enjoyed Disaster Artist. But then when you saw him win the award and the actual Tommy got up and tried to talk and and Franco essentially patted him on the head, it was like, oh, no, hang on. Are we all really horrible? Are we on a, in on this horrible thing mm. where we're parading around a, a this idiot? And yeah, but also the, the it problem felt incredibly uncomfortable. The problem with the disaster artists, they tried to add a moral to it at the end, where it was like it's all about striving for your dreams and and really going for things, even if people are laughing at you. Whereas that's clearly not why they made it. They made it because the film was hilariously shit. Like, and you can't you yeah, can't tag yeah, a moral yeah. onto the end of it and be like, we made it because he's an inspiring figure. It's like, no, you think he's weird and he's from another country. That's why you made it. And uh, and that's what came out of that awards thing was was that it was getting up again. Yeah, we made. And then as soon as the the actual guy was there, they were like, yeah, let's push yeah. you away, you silly Billy. Yeah. I mean, James You're a Franco bit of a Wally. definitely is into it for the wrong reasons and he's not a nice guy. But like, but if you like, if you get into. Uh, the room, especially if you're like someone who is creative, then there is a sense of that of like you completely relate to someone creative trying to do something and failing because you have at some point failed and are constantly afraid of failing and are aware of all the bad things that you've done that are a pile of shit and so kind of relate to the person who's doing it in yeah. some way and can celebrate it. But I think yeah, when Franco pats him on the head, you're like, oh, I don't think you're on the same train as the rest. No. Of <laughs> you see the the. The one thing that made me okay with it was I enjoyed James Franco in the way James Franco enjoys Tommy Wiseau. Totally. He's, in, in, yeah, he's, yeah. This, he's this weird dude who's kind mm. of got in on his own joke. He was a bit of a joke because he's this artist. And I, I, on that, the roast of James Fr- uh, yeah. Franco, it's brilliant because he's so in on it, but he's obviously, it's also, he's reluctantly in on it. There was... Definitely a point in his life where the character he's playing as James Franco was really who he believed he totally. was, and then and it sort of the line's been blurred. Do you remember the Thirty Rock episode that he was in? Where uh, yes, so yes, that was yes, sort yes, of yes. almost the point where he crossed over, where he was in a Thirty Rock episode as himself, and he'd paid Jenna to go out with him because to deflect from the fact he was really going out with a, a full length body pillow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he realizes how weird he is now, but only because other people have told him he's weird. And that's what I adore about him. I thoroughly, like, I'm genuinely a big fan of James Franco, but it's that exact. I don't feel uncomfortable about the fact he's clearly probably a bad person. <laughs> I think there's a period I'm... in his career that I liked. There's a period in his career where, like, what he did. I love Pineapple Express. I think that's a great film. Yeah. And, uh, like, 
I mean, also, I loved him hosting the Oscars and absolutely bailing on it, like completely yeah. just because. Also, I don't think I don't know if this has ever happened before, but when someone's hosting the Oscars and is also nominated for Best Actor, so like, yeah. how the hell are you yeah. going to keep your head in the game? <laughs> the, like, yeah. he just kept on bailing and leaving and leaving Anne Hathaway to do it by herself, and then every time he was on the screen, his face was just fixed in this like frozen smile with his terrified eyes because all he was thinking was, <laughs> "Am I going to win Best Actor tonight?" Which he didn't. That's absolutely He's amazing. He's um, was it Spring Breakers? I thought Spring Breakers. Yeah, I loved the... I loved Spring Breakers. A lot of people hated that. I saw that in the the, the cinema, and no one was there. It had been panned. And when he plays that Britney Spears song on the piano and they all gather around and start singing, I was like, this is one of my f- f- favourite bits of cinema. This is amazing. Yeah, it, was, it was really good. I think how they advertised it was a bit of misdirection. I think people were going there expecting something a bit crass and, yeah, not what it was. It was a bit. It was a strange film. It was excellent. I thought his performance I mean, was really good. To kind of combine the metal talk and the... The weird actors talk, and this hundred percent isn't the point of the podcast to slag off people that we think are weirdos. But Gerard Leto does my head in, and he's in he's in Thirty Seconds to Mars, right? He seems from the outside. I don't know him. I've got no inside scoop, but from the outside, he seems like the biggest bell end ever. But he's done some amazing performances. I'm not into the Thirty Seconds to Mars. Have you ever? Got into them or understood them? Then no, they're to- they're totally not they're totally not my bag. And also, I think I'm massively put off by him as a person. And you know, he basically runs a cult, right? Yeah, like, no. yeah. He runs. Or, he- or, or or he was the first or one of the first people I heard of to do. And it's become a normalised thing now. And it was bizarre to me as a touring artist at the time. He was one of, the, or they were one of the ones who normalised the the paid meet and greets yeah and the 30 seconds to mars meet and greets cost hundreds of pounds and it was essentially they'd line you up in a row and he would walk along and sh- shake your hands and say hello and that's what you paid for and it, it blew my mind because at that point i was running my own merch booth and again there's a, l- a level of of cashing in there i know if i run my own merch booth i'm gonna sell more merch because people are coming to buy merch but yeah but people are paying for the merch not your time ex- like they're you know yeah, yeah it's a genuine interaction and experience you sound very Whereas, jealous. You sound very yeah. jealous at the moment. It's but. it's a win-win, Chris, because or, or you will know as well that <laughs> that we both had gone to see a, a Sage Francis back in the day, and him running his own merch booth. Yeah, it so meant I, I bought I yeah. bought vinyl that I already owned because I wanted to buy it off Sage, but that was good good value to me. Yeah. I got the value there, so that's why I kind of started doing that. But yeah, but you know, he so, so he, like, he basically now runs this. It's sort of a cult. He. People pay like thousands of dollars. Like thirty seconds, Mars fans go out there to this island, uh, and they get to all. There's like hundreds of them there, and they might get to meet Jared Leto. And there's pictures of him like wearing flowing white robes, and everyone else is wearing the robes, oh. and he's like walking along a wall, and everyone's following him. And also, it, he does these things where he goes into these deep meditations. He came out of a deep meditation halfway through coronavirus. Did you see that? <laughs> yes, and, and he I was like, "Oh fuck, what's, go- what's going on?" <laughs> He'd been Jesus. meditating in the de- in the desert, and then he came out, and the whole world's on lockdown. Yeah. He's like, "What's going on, guys?" Oh yeah, he's a. I mean, he's yeah. I think he's a bit of a tit, to be honest. It's mad that he's, or from the sounds of it, he is Firefest. Yeah, <laughs> Jared Ger- 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 Leto is Firefest. He just he's, he's not in on the joke. He's not in on the con. But and also, there's, there's loads it. of stories from other bands at festivals and stuff where there's uh, specific signs put up backstage telling everyone else that they can't look Jared Leto in the eye. So there's Have like you, a rule um... that's come down from 30 Seconds from Mars that no one else working at the festival or other bands can look him in the eye. 
Did you hear Amazing. that? Where that, that was apparently um, Rage Against the Machine had that in place as well. And, oh, really? Uh, and, and I heard an interview with Arcade Fire, uh, and they were saying that when they walked to the stage, they threw open the door to Rage's and said, fuck you, we won't do what you tell me, and, like, and started fucking <laughs> screaming, and everyone was bogging at, at Rage Against the Machine who were instructed, yeah, no one was allowed to look at them. That's, That's bizarre, isn't it? I'd want to look at Rage. I wouldn't want to look at Jared Leto. I don't think, I don't think anyone's got on their way to a festival going, I can't wait to look Jared Leto in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been in, this, in close proximity in the, in the same room to Tom Morello twice in my life, and I've not been able to look him in the eye because I was so nervous. Um, yeah, yeah. I emceed I the Metal Hammer Golden God uh, Awards, and Prophets of Rage were playing. Wow! Um, and uh, oh no, they received an award, but I got to introduce loads of bands onto the stage as well. That was fucking amazing. And Chris Jericho was hosting, actually, weirdly. Um, amazing. So I was waiting off stage for uh, for Prophets of Rage to walk past me, and I was literally looking up at Tom Morello, like gazing at him as he walked past me, and not even seeing I was there because he's a very tall man. It was just like absolute like love eyes, googly at him. Uh, and then I, he'd gone and I was just looking up in space and suddenly I felt from below me someone standing there and going, hey, nice to meet you. And I looked down and it was fucking Chuck D. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he li- the only person That's all insane. night who came up to me, he just came up to me and went, hello, I'm Chuck. Nice to meet you. Good job tonight. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That feels like a good place to pause and let you catch your breath um, or catch up on the drinking with us. Uh, Part two will be out at midday. I will see you then.